Hey guys, if you have an interest in developing games, consider joining the WU Game Developers Club. We don't have any more meetings this semester, but we should be back this fall and we'll be meeting every week. It's a great, open, friendly environment. You don't have to have any prior development experience. Take it from me. When I joined, I had no game development experience, and now I've put out nearly three games. If you're interested, go to gamedevclub.orgs.wvu.edu to learn more. Hello and welcome to Game Talk Episode 7. I'm your host, Emin Mion. This week I'm joined by some new face, uh, Tristan Snyder. Hello, nice to meet you. And um, podcast veteran, Michael Dumeyer. I'm humbled to be called a veteran. Right. Um, this week we're going to start off talking about hype, uh, specifically like expectation versus reality in the video game industry. Um, I think the biggest recent example of this being a problem is No Man's Sky, the infamous No Man's Sky release, right? But video games being what they are, they're very subject to just the nature of game making and advertising. They're very subject to hype. And hype absolutely sells a game, but when the hype does not adequately depict what the game is like, then horrible, horrible things can happen. Studios can get destroyed. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw that out there and kick off a discussion about hype. I think bringing into our obligatory talk about Sonic, I think Sonic 06 was a victim of this. Like, I think they really hyped it up as this brand new Sonic game that's going to revolutionize the genre or whatever. See, and then it was a steaming pile of garbage. More than Sonic 06, I think Sonic in general, like, the poor Sonic fans are so, like, brainwashed. <laughs> they really to, like, are. They, they get hyped over the newest game every time, and I feel like each time is just worse than the last, but I don't know. I'd... I used to be a Sonic fan, and I don't want to get on the bad side of any Sonic fans out there, but I feel like that's definitely an example of expectation versus reality. Um, what were you going to say, Tristan? Okay. Um, my stance on hype is, like, especially, like, in a marketing sense, is that I feel a lot of times when we look at promotional materials as far as games, we look at the most exciting aspects of a game. For example, um... The Dead Space uh, campaign, marketing campaign, which is completely awful, but uh, every scene of gameplay shown in those promotional materials is like just the most exciting part of the game, like flying right. around in zero gravity. But it's not accurately depicting what you do the other seventy percent of the time in the game. Right, it's kind of like a like a movie trailer, right? The movie trailer shows you some of the best the movie has to offer to entice you to buy a ticket to go see the movie. Games have to be the same way. They show you some of the most excited gameplay sequences maybe to entice you to buy the game. I remember when the Order 1886 uh, was shown off. Um, it's a PlayStation 4 exclusive. They showed off this crazy awesome like uh, blimp level, which uh, was I, hands down the best part of the game. I bought it and played it. The rest of the game sucked. Like... <laughs> Just that game as a whole is not very good at all. Looks beautiful, but is just very boring and not engaging. But they showed off that level and it got a lot of people hyped. So, do you do you guys think that maybe that's sort of like deceptive in a way, or is it just part of the trade, like business trade? I mean, look at No Man's Sky's marketing. Like, there's no dinosaurs in No Man's Sky. There's no lush worlds. So No Man's Sky, I think, is the most extreme example of this, where there is now evidence that the creator straight up lied on stuff that would be in the game. Uh, when he was like asked point blank X, Y, or Z would be in the game, and it just wasn't, and he vehemently insisted that it was. So that's certainly the most extreme example. Um, I mean, uh, one thing that was wrong with No Man's Sky is that it was pretty much released as an early access game. Like, there's a lot that wasn't included when it was put on Xbox One or PS4 or even PC. But uh, recently, the Foundation update came out, and a few more things have been added. But that was one of the problems is that initially we were sold a finished game that is early access. Right. And, yeah, they're making good on their promise to update the game and add more to the game, but that does not hold up when what you initially promised for the game is not there, you know? So, yes, I do think for No Man's Sky in particular, there is a level of deception there that shouldn't be when um, when you're marketing your game, when you're hyping up your game. Um, 
I think one game that did it right, just being the Sony fanboy that I am, is uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, every time they showed gameplay that was completely representative of what you'd be doing most of the time in that game. And it was just so engaging and so exciting that it sold the game itself. And then when you picked up the game, they never showed off any of their big set-piece moments or anything. So when you picked up the game, the bar was already at that level. So when you got to those exciting moments, you were like, wow, I did not know that this game had it in it to wow me like this. So other than No Man's Sky, what games can you guys think of off the top of your head that do hype well or poorly? <clears throat> Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. I d- so I wasn't really following the marketing for Mass Effect Andromeda too well, but I don't think they were ever advertising it as, like, the end-all, be-all Mass Effect, right? I think that, I think they sort of knew what they had, and they kind of... That's why the, the push, the marketing push for Mass Effect Andromeda wasn't as insane as, you know, like, Mass Effect 2 or 3. A lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! games are very guilty of using it's kind of deceptive marketing. Look at Battlefront, like the first battle, not... Right, I, I know what you mean. Uh, Battlefront on PS4, Xbox One, PC, the one that came out recently. Yeah, I mean, that was sold as a fully-fledged game, but when it came out, there was, what, like three maps? There right. Like, actually, there's like five maps. <laughs> and then after a $50 season pass and over a year later, now it's a, like a pretty full-fledged multiplayer game. But no one the, plays it. The the um, the quality of the mechanics are another discussion, but like they added more to the game after it came out than was in the game to begin with, you know, and and that's kind of a problem, right? I think that's a whole other dragon we can talk about in another episode, though. Ab- yeah, absolutely. About what you're sold versus like what you're told is going to be in the game. Yeah, that's right. Something. I mean, DLC that's... is definitely a discussion for another time. Yeah, but yeah, I mean. When when hype is used properly, it's going to propel your product, like immensely. But when it's used poorly, obviously it can crash and burn what you have very quickly. Like I remember being very hyped for the launch of Fallout Four, and I wasn't that disappointed, honestly. Maybe like a month afterwards, when the hype died down, I was finally aware of the flaws. So but before that, it was a great time. It's it's an interesting balance they have to strike, right? Because like the quality of the game. If they capture that adequately with whatever they're hyping it with, even if it's not that hype, I think people will be more open to it because they were, they were like they were being, they were not lied to, right? They knew what to expect and they got what they expected, and then that was great. It's when they overpromise and don't deliver when there's a problem. Yeah, that's. I think going back to one of your uh, earlier things was that. I can't think of too many marketing campaigns for games because a lot of them have just been dull or pre-rendered cutscenes, and that didn't show off the game. Like, there were... What game am I thinking of? I think a number of times, like, then Battlefield 1's uh, promotional material came right. up. Like, there was, there, there was a little bit of gameplay, but the majority of that was just pre-rendered uh, cutscenes that they were just showing off. So I think a lot of that has to do with the pedigree of the developer, right? So Battlefield is so huge. They know they don't need to show off gameplay to sell, right? They just need a trailer, an, a cool-looking trailer. Uh, that obviously doesn't go over that well with gamers because we know that gameplay is king. I mean, we don't want some CGI movie to tell us what game to buy, right? Mm-hmm. We want to know how it plays. And I, I would love to see developers kind of embracing that going forward. And especially those um, lesser-known games that uh, that are being released, regardless of how like big or small they are, if your name's new and or if you're a new IP, you have to sort of show gameplay to prove yourself. Otherwise, no one's going to pay sixty dollars for a pretty-looking animated movie, right? Yeah. Uh, despite what I say about that, I do buy the CG movies that often come out after games. <laughs> um, the Resident Evil and the Final right. Fantasy movies come to mind, but. Um, I, yeah, I mean, buying games based off of the hype, I would also, because Undertale and Stardew, da- Stardew Valley, right, uh, right, like, they just came out of nowhere, but the thing was, is there was no, there was very little marketing up until their release, like, I only heard about Stardew Valley 
maybe a week or so afterwards just because uh like a youtuber i watched played it and then that was my only like that was all i had for marketing material was oh hey someone talked about it while they were playing it so a lot of these indie games right they kind of had a following during development right and then it i feel like the marketing was word of mouth from people who followed it, but I don't follow that scene as closely. Michael, what were you? Like, Minecraft comes to mind for, like, they paid zero for marketing. They haven't marketed it at all. And well, yet, that's, that's like a... It's massive. An extremely rare case, I think. <laughs> I mean, the story of Minecraft is maybe like a once-in-a-generation type story, right? It's just it instantly became... what I think it's like... It's in the top five best-selling games of all time at this point, and it's only going to grow. Um, but yeah, that was a rare case where no hype, no marketing needed. It just sort of exploded on its own, which is very impressive. And then Microsoft picked it up and has been, I guess they're holding on to it, aren't they? They're yeah, just, yeah, they are. kind of continuing on. Microsoft owns, uh, Minecraft. I mean, Notch now has a giant mansion in, uh, uh, Beverly Hills where he And has... he's miserable, so yeah, that just goes to show. Himself, but that's just you know. Notch. All right, so sort of getting back on topic, is there anything else you guys want to add to the discussion of hype? It's a necessary evil, really. I mean, if you don't have hype, then no one's excited to play your game, no one goes by it, so then you just can't make games anymore. And Minecraft is the second best-selling game, right behind uh, Tetris. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that high up. Uh, I think Tristan's uh, summarized that pretty succinctly. We're going to cut this segment a little short because we actually have a special guest on um, he's my good friend, Muhammad Yusuf, and he's a semi-pro Super Smash Bros. Melee player, and I wa- kind of wanted him to talk about the game because it it's sort of like the only game he plays, and it's his probably, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I'd say it's probably his biggest passion in life. So uh, let's bring him on the show. All right, uh, Muhammad, welcome on the show. Hello. <laughs> so I mentioned before you came on here, you only play Super Smash Brothers Melee, correct? Uh, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. So, and it's like one of your biggest passions, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Um, would you consider yourself like a semi-pro player? I'd say, I mean, out of like the many, many levels, I'm uh, kind of at the scrubby local semi-pro level, yeah. So, yeah, you're being modest, but even at that level, it, it requires more tech skill than the layman's willing to master, you know? Oh, absolutely. So so why don't you just tell us a little bit about why Super Smash Bros. Melee, of all games? Why over a 10-year-old game that you've decided to make uh, something you're pursuing? Huh, that's a really interesting question. Well, you know, I mean, I know it has a huge, vibrant community in the fighting community, right? So yeah. I just wanted to know, like, what you get out of it. Like, is it the mechanics that... It, excite you or is it just the competition is it the competitive scene well i can tell you when i uh, first started playing it uh, I, I guess competitively after many years of just messing around with friends i was pretty interested in just trying to get like all the really technical stuff down um for example there's the there's the gratification of uh trying to like learn how to do wave shines and after practicing it for, say, like a month, finally you do one, you're like, oh my god, that's awesome. And then after two months, you can do it consistently. So there's a, re- there's a long-term aspect to it where you're trying to be perfect in your movement and all that sort of stuff. And then there's, th- there's multiple long-term components that it's basically just about being, being good at something. I think that's where it comes down to. Right. Um... Just really quick, uh, do you guys play, I mean, I'm sure you've played Super Smash Bros. Melee, but have you played Super Smash Bros. Melee, like, at a at a high level? That's a good question. I mean, I've played it in, like, some local tournaments and done decently. Okay. Oh, I haven't played Melee, but I've played four. Right. So the reason we're talking about Melee is just because, um, I'm sure you can explain it way better than me, but I'm just going to start it off. Um, the level of technical depth in that game is just on another level. Oh, it's um, crazy. There's, like, new techniques I keep hearing about. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, keep in mind, this game's over a decade old, right? And it's still being played. One of the biggest fighting game um, games, you know, yeah, that's, that's hosted at tournaments. 
it's literally been out for 15, 16 years now, and still nobody's actually perfect at it. Right, so like on top of all the technical skill that you can master, like I've seen pros like inputting six to seven inputs per second, you know, just, just like absurd levels of precision and speed. But on top of all of that is just the mind game, sort of like metagame, um, where you're just trying to read like, it's like 13-dimensional chess. You're trying to read like, so many moves ahead like if he does x i'll do y but if he does z i'll do this so like like tell us a little bit more about that sort of thing yeah the mind game sort of aspect so yeah that's another interesting thing so when, when, when you're playing there's i remember a long time ago i was reading a post on smash boards uh about you know how to get better because you know i was super into that <laughs> right um but basically uh it was wobbles who posted this sort of mini guide and what he had posted was there are basically two main aspects on how you're supposed to get good. And the, the big two points that he was talking about was, number one, getting your tech skill down, basically being able to move around and do whatever you want on a stage. And the other way more important aspect of it was the mind games aspect, where you learn what basically, after, uh, after like years and years and years of playing other people, which is a giant thing, you have to p play other people to learn mind games, you learn what people's normal habits are in the game. So let me think of an example real quick. Uh, for, oh, I got a good one. Uh, so for example, if uh, you're trying to edge guard a Falco and he's on the ledge, 99% of the time a scrubby Falco is just gonna do a ledge hop dare. And if you see that coming, if you know the player's not good, you can easily just wait it out. They're gonna do it and you, you, you literally just stand a little farther away and you can do anything. You can F smash them, you can do whatever you want. That's just one example. So that's that's a mind, mind games aspect of it where, I mean, that what I just said is the very first level. And then as you go up and up and up and people get really good, then those layers start happening where, okay, the Falco knows you're going to wait and he has to think, okay, I'm not going to do a dare. I'm going to do a uh, illusion on stage. He won't expect that. And then you have to adapt to that, and it just kind of layers and layers and layers. I just want to quickly interrupt and say that most people probably don't know what a dare or oh, oh ledge bad. hop is. I'm not sure what an illusion is, yeah, actually. No, but like, <laughs> oh, for, for those that have played Melee, like, they, I mean, it has its own sort of language, like so many technical terms associated with like high-level play, right? Yeah, yeah. So why Super Smash Bros. Melee over other Smash games? There have been four games out now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Melee is the second iteration of the franchise. Yeah. What makes it so much better and more technically profound than the other games? Okay, so that's a really good question. So, I guess I'll just go through it. Um, N64, uh, it's kind of fun, but it gets to a point where all you're just trying to do is just combo people, and it's just not really... I don't know. It, 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 I just never really gave that one a shot, I guess. Brawl? Brawl's just where it's like basically 100% mind games, and it's, it's just not the funnest thing. So Brawl is like no technical skill, but the mind games are still there? Uh, I wouldn't say no technical skill. I never really tried to do, be like super amazing at Brawl, but when it comes down to it, whenever you're trying to play Brawl on a competitive level, it just becomes really lame, and you just kind of... Everyone's just kind of just staying away from each other and trying to like tack on damage and it gets really boring because those combos aren't there right exactly yeah. it's it's because it's all mind games and no combos melee is in my opinion a good balance between the combos and the mind games and interestingly with smash 4 when it first came out I thought it was pretty garbage but I think I've kind of changed my mind about it simply because I thought it was garbage because I thought it was like it was like an in-between between Brawl and Melee where there were mind games for sure and there were combos for sure, but the combos weren't really cool, you know. Um, but I think that's changing, especially now because, I mean, I, I've just been watching a little bit here and there and I can kind of see where you can get, you know, pseudo combos, for example, like tricking the opponent and you can get, you can build up combos and combos and combos like that. So, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't really give Smash 4 as much of a chance. Just Melee is just... There's too much there in Melee, right? Yeah, it's too awesome. <laughs> right.
Um, so, how about talk about um, your favorite characters to play as in Melee and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I typically tend to play basically all the top tier characters, and if you don't know what that is, basically there's like 26 characters, I think, and you know some characters are better than others. And I, I enjoy playing all the good characters. So, for example, that's so sorry to interrupt, but some characters are better than others, like objectively, right? Yes. So, like, the skill ceiling for some characters is simply much higher than other characters. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, I'm I've uh, I've dabbled a little bit, like seeing uh, professional or well, like competitive Smash. So, I've noticed that. My favorite character in Melee is Pichu, and everyone <laughs> believes that it is hot garbage, which I can agree to some level. But, like, higher-tier characters would be something like um, Falco mm-hmm. or Captain Falcon. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jigglypuff is also top-tier in Melee. Yeah, yeah. But, isn't, but, isn't that the opposite in Smash 4? Yeah, Smash 4, Jigglypuff so. is literally bottom-tier. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you can't do anything with Jigglypuff unless you're a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that the whole ranking thing is a whole separate story. But I, I just enjoy playing like you know Fox, Falco. I mean, just basically all of them: Fox, Falco, Jigglypuff, Peach, Sheik. And they the all have players. radically different play styles. Yeah, they're too, all pretty right? different. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought Fox and Falco were pretty similar in the way they played. Uh, that's what a novice would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah that's what they are in four, but no, not not so much in melee. Um, they look really similar, you know, they both got the same looking shine, they both got the same looking nair, there's a bunch looking, there's a bunch of stuff that makes it look the same, but they're actually really, really different characters. Falco's a lot about control, um, basically just controlling the other opponent, it's, you know, that's what you can do with Falco, that's why people say he's perhaps even one of the best characters in the entire game, whereas Fox, he just has, he has such... Man, it's such a... Technical. Right? Yeah, he, he has such a high ceiling in the way he's able to move. And it's not so much about controlling the opponent as it is how dominating you yourself can be. Mm. Yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah. So Fox is the ultimate offensive player. And defensive. Right. Yeah. So there's this joke that goes around in the community called 20XX, <laughs> right? Yeah, So yeah. the idea is... I don't know if you guys have heard of it, no. but the idea is that Fox's skill ceiling is so high. As people get better and better at the game, they're only going to play as Fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's been a little twisted nowadays. Some people say that's... So the original person who said this was this super technical guy. His name was Hax or Aziz Alyami. And uh, now people are saying, okay, it doesn't technically have to be Fox. The idea of 20XX is everyone just plays so perfectly that... The entire game doesn't even matter. Like, you get touched, you die. So then the whole game moves on to another level where you're just, try- you're just playing, like, rock, paper, scissors to get, you know, port matter on the GameCube because uh, for some reason port has some sort of advantage in oh, the wow, game. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. So then it evolves to, like, a meta melee level where it doesn't even matter about the game because everyone's so good, and you're just doing rock, paper, scissors to do, like, so- port. I know it's sort of been mentioned, but it's it's very remarkable that you said the game's been out for 16 years and people are still getting better at it. Yes. So, like, the absolute, like, peak skill ceiling has not been reached yet, which really speaks to the technical depths of the game. Yeah, yeah. The biggest example, I'd say, is right now, actually. It happened this weekend, which was uh, at the tournament um, DreamHack Austin, where you have Chudat, who's been, literally, he's been playing since day one, Ices. Ice Climbers, and he, he was like, he's, his, the story of him is he's just always been second to everybody, second to Ken is probably the biggest example, and until now, he's kind of just been not really caring, he's, just, he's been a top 50 player, I'd say, but this tournament, he, he actually got second, despite every god being there, except That's for... That's crazy. Yeah, despite every god being there except... Uh, so we'll get into the... Down. Let's get into the professional community in a minute. Okay. My, Michael, did you want to say something? Uh, what is your thoughts about the common meme among the community? Only Fox, Final Destination, no items. I think it's funny. Yeah, that's a... It's funny, but true. It, it really is. It's yeah. pretty much the competitive <laughs> scene in a nutshell. That's not true. That's not true. Right. So no, actually, that, that segues really well to let's just talk about the competitive scene for a while too. So like, I'm a complete outsider. Well, I won't say complete outsider, but 
I've I don't want to say I follow competitive Smash, but if it's on, I'll watch it and be extremely entertained by it. There's this whole like there these whole storylines of glory and revenge and like these top players that are just sort of untouchable. Uh, these top five kind of six now they're sort of untouchable by anyone else. And now the skill ceiling's sort of like leveling out where everyone's getting to the same level, and it makes for some very exciting matches. Why don't you talk a little about a little bit about the professional play and the players themselves? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great topic. So I'd say melee is at least in until I'd say last year, it was a really really interesting game to just watch because the way the professionals have been set up. The way the history of melee has been is such that it basically looks like an anime. That's the that's the little joke that goes on. Um, you know, you got Mango, like the hero, and Hbox, like Mango's little villain guy. Or Just whatever. a little side note. Um, yeah, is that why when like uh, when two characters smash each other off the sides of the uh, opposite sides of the ring, the announcers call it DBZ? Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, it looks <laughs> yeah. like it looks like Goku and Vegeta like, hitting each other so hard they. Like, fly off in different directions. That's really funny. Yeah, it's kind of like that, yeah. Um, I guess to give a little background about the players, um, we got Armada, number one, uh, from Sweden. Gothensburg? Something like that. Gothensburg, Sweden. Uh, He's been number one for a long time. He's he's just crazy. He plays Peach Fox. You got Hungrybox, who actually has a chemical... who actually, actually has an engineering degree. He's, he plays Jigglypuff. He causes a lot of drama in the community. You got Mewtwo King, uh, which, I mean, he's probably the first person any outsider would hear about. He's this pretty crazy guy. He's got some some spectrum disorder, I'd say. Maybe autistic. I don't really know. But he's crazy. He he plays a pretty beautiful Marth, Sheik, Fox. Um, from New Jersey. Who else is there? There's Mango. Mango... Fan favorite. He's from Norwalk, California. Uh, he's got the Mango Nation behind him. Giant yeah, he of. he definitely gets the crowd more hype than yeah. He's a crowd else. pleaser. Hundred percent crowd pleaser. Um, Just a quick question about these people. These are like these are like the top people in the community, right? Like if you absolutely. joined the Smash community, you'd like instantly know about these people. Like hundred percent. So if someone was like just getting in it, these would be like the lebron james or yeah, like 100 percent. yeah yeah wow the tom brady of yeah, this, this, melee this, this, like music king would be like the kobe bryant um yeah and i i just want to say it can't be understated how freakishly good these players actually are it's like you're watching a different game when you see two of these people fight yeah like yeah. it's it's ridiculous like i could sit on my couch and play melee but watching them play melee i don't know if i could ever like it's I'm sure with years and years and years, but these guys, they are just a whole nother class of player. Yeah, it's to the point where if you flinch, then you yeah, literally it, die. If you if you make like a, let's say a point one second mistake, it's yes. it's way too costly. That could yeah. cost you like an entire tournament. No, it literally costs lives now. It's, it's absolutely nuts. <laughs> Anyways, as the I was saying, um, basically until this past year. Um, it's been this kind of anime-style story where you have these five gods trying to vie for a throne, sort of kind of like Game of Thrones, I'd say. And um, the story of it has been, okay, Armada's taken that throne. He's number one. He's been number one for, I think, three years straight now. Now it's gotten to a point where it's not just the top five anymore. Now I'd say it's about the top 15 who are all pretty much on the same playing level, with the exception of Armada, of course. And so that this is why, like, at the last tournament, DreamHack Austin, you see someone, Chudat, who, until, I'd say not even a month ago, people didn't even consider him to be top 20. And he got second. So in that aspect now, now it's definitely the era where you have way more upsets that are possible, and that makes the game way more interesting to watch than it is to see same old golden state warriors winning again and again and again. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's sort of... It, it, it's mind-boggling to me that Nintendo did not set out to make a competitive game. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then they sort of accidentally made one of the most competitive games of all time. Yeah, it, that's it's pretty insane. Yeah, if you guys haven't... If you have any sort of uh, cursory interest in Super Smash Bros., I really recommend watching one of these, like, uh, tournaments. 
seeing some of these professional players play on Twitch, you'll see what I'm talking about. Like the excitement is palpable. Like you're, it's it's so engaging and it's so entrancing. Like you can't look away. And if you look away for a second, you could have missed like 30 different button inputs that happen. That's just the level it's at. And it's it's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. I remember at college, I was uh, watching. I think it was Apex 2015. It was uh, PPMD, who I actually forgot to mention. He's a super guru. He's actually one of the top five. That's all you really need to know about him. He he came back after not playing for like a year, and I was the only one who was interested in melee. But literally, all my apartment uh, mates were watching that tournament. We're getting super hyped. Yeah, and he won that tournament, right? He sure did. After not playing for a year. Yeah, which that, is just it, was, it was so nice. Was disgusting. So, that's the, the <laughs> best tournament. Best tournament ever. All right. Um, any concluding thoughts uh, on Melee? Just a quick Everyone? question, I guess. Um, so what would you describe as like a typical practice for like going into tournament play? What do you have to prepare? Uh, how would you do that? Um... Typical practice probably is what, m- what most people do is they just practice tech skill, which I honestly think is retarded. Um, yeah, it's it's so stupid. People just end up doing routine stuff, which literally every player in the competitive world has seen millions of times. So if I'd say anyone's trying to do get into competitive play, do not practice tech skill. <laughs> That'll come no matter what. You should just practice mind games. Literally watching YouTube videos. Everyone says it. Watch YouTube videos of other people playing and see what they're doing wrong. See how you get hit. That's actually what you should. No one does it. I know for a fact. People just practice tech skill. No one actually looks at YouTube videos. If you want to get good, actually look at YouTube videos. So, yeah, these these pros actually put up analysis videos, like sometimes over an hour long of some of their matches, just dissecting every single move, every decision that was made. Yeah, that's what you need to do. I think that's probably the most educational thing you could do for yourself. That teaches you mind games. And then you learn the mind games and you practice it. That's that's how you get better. Right. Um, Do you have anything else to say about Melee? Um, Not really. Melee's awesome. I second that. All right, so for our last topic, we're just sort of kind of going to go off what we were talking about before and just broaden it and just talk about esports in general. Um, you kind of got a taste of that in the last segment with the talk of pro Super Smash Bros. Melee, but I know that esports is so much bigger than that. Um, uh, Michael and Tristan are more into the esports scene than I am, so I kind of want them to take the reins for this topic. Yeah, sure. Um, um, what what's what sort of esports do you follow, and do you participate in any? Well, I follow both the Overwatch and the Dota esports currently. Right, and uh, I participated in both. Never won a game, but that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> but there, the thing about esports is that it's just like a regular sporting event. You have your heroes, your villains, your team that you root for. Right, millions of people come in there, probably get drunk while watching them. <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's really a thing. Right, and I, I saw that um, you can even watch a lot of these esports on ESPN now, right? Uh, I think Blizzard has an agreement with Heroes of the Dorm with ESPN. I know TBS also uh, plays uh, CSGO now nice. because they own a tournament or two. I think I want to bring up how esports are actually different from typical sports because typical sports, the game doesn't change drastically from every season, but every time... Like, we talk about esports. It could be a completely different game. Like, we could talk... Overwatch is... Well, there's an esport community, but then we could also talk about StarCraft was huge for a while. They're drastically different games. So... The games are drastically different, and the sort of storylines that emerge in those games are are different from season to season, too. I know... So, I have cursory knowledge of League of Legends, because my cousin was super, it, it is super into professional League of Legends and actually played at a semi-pro level for a long time. The rewards on those tournaments are huge. Yeah, they're millions of dollars. They're very high stakes. But, like, um, I remember I used to, like, just talk to him, and every year I hear, like, of these different teams, like, being in the top, you know, sort of bracket. And I was just like, huh. It's interesting how, like, as the games get patched and as strategies change, some teams come to the forefront while others fall away. Um, that being said, I think uh, League of Legends fans are going to kill me, but there's some Korean team, I want to say, out there that's always number one. So barring that, you know. Um, SK Telecom? I don't know. I'm Something like that. Not yeah. going to stop talking. 
Like the largest single tournament prize pool, I think right now is actually the Dota 2's International, which is hosted every year in Seattle, a key arena in like August ish. Right. So, and it was twenty billion last year. What? Oh, it's twenty million. Not twenty billion. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, it was not twenty point seven million, not billion. Okay, I wish yeah, it was gonna billion. Say. But so actually, so yeah, actually, let's jump on that. Why don't you tell us a bit about Dota? Because I know it's similar to League, but. So Dota started out as a mod for Warcraft 3, which was like this uh, RTS game. But uh, what made Warcraft 3 different at the time was like you had these special units called heroes. And someone took a mod of that, so you only played as the hero and effectively started like MOBAs, I think. Like Dota came out and then Dota 2 followed, and that's what's kind of the competitive one, isn't it, right now? Uh, Both were very competitive. Dota 2 was what started the international and the big prize pool era of Dota. Before that, it was just these little tournaments, much like Smash has a lot of, like these little tournaments that, mm-hmm. like, they're a couple thousand dollars prize pools. Right. And not a lot of people watch them. But then Valve was like, we're going to make our own tournament, and we're going to bring this up to a million-dollar prize pool for their first iteration. And it's just gotten, it's just blown up from there. Right. I mean, it's growing every every year. And it seems like new games become big esports titles every year. Like Overwatch came out last year, right? Yeah. And um, it's already one of the most talked about esports titles. I think there's a little bit of a debate going on right now whether or not it can keep up being an esport. Like whether or not it'll continue being uh, in the forefront of esports. Because um, in a lot of ways, like Team Fortress 2 has similar, or well, it's similar to, yeah, Team Fortress 2 has some similarities with Overwatch, and I know lots of people play it, but it's, I don't know, I don't think Team Fortress 2 is an eSport, right? Uh, Team Fortress 2 does have a little bit of an eSport community, mostly in their 6v6s, but their 6v6s, the meta hasn't changed, which the meta is like, what people play, what's generally acceptable to play, hasn't changed since 6v6s started. Like, with Overwatch, they're constantly patching the game. They're constantly changing what character to play as, what characters do the best. They're constantly swapping. That's what keeps an eSport alive. Yeah. Like, if someone's, like, Riot stops suddenly patching League of Legends, the game would die within a month or two. Uh, people uh, would no, get absolutely. Bored. It has to constantly be tweaked, balanced, and updated, right? Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, as far as getting into eSports even, I think there's a little bit higher level of it because... Um, someone I was watching talked about, I think it was probably extra credits or something, but they talked about how when you look at the sports we have now, basketball, football, what it takes for a person to get into those sports is having like a football or a basketball, whereas like getting into esports and lots of athletic skill, lots of athletic skill. Yeah, that cannot be understated. But I mean, even in in esports too, you need athletic sport or athletic skill. Um... But, like, there's a bit more of, like, a price ceiling on getting into esports because you have to afford, like, all your equipment. Like, high-end computers and that sort of thing, yeah. Like, the skill level between... There's, also, there's a tremendous amount of skill in esports. Like, the skill level between, say, me, where I'm, like, mid, middle of ground in, like, Overwatch and a pro is a matter of maybe hundreds upon hundreds of hours of gameplay and practice. Yeah, I mean... Uh, that seems to be a trend with like a lot of like the d- jump between average and pro, right? Like we like we talked about with melee. It's just these pros. I mean, they're called pros for a reason. They've put in like the blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. To, to get that skill. I think the number's probably thousands and thousands of extra hours. Right. Yeah. Like I was reading when I was doing a paper for my English last couple semesters ago. I did it on esports, and I was looking up how long they practice. Like the average Dota two team, they practice forty to sixty hours a week. Yeah, that's that's a that's full-time job. like yeah. 10 or so, like 4 to 6 hours a day, every day wow. of just game. So I just kind of wanted to break it down like this. So it seems to me, from like an outsider's perspective, there are three major branches of esports. And those are like the first-person shooters, like Call of Duty and Overwatch. The MOBAs, like um, Dota League and League of Legends. And then the fighting titles, like Street Fighter. You also have your RTSs. Right. There's a couple. Uh, StarCraft is still popular. Brood Wars... Still popular in Korea, even though the pros moved on to StarCraft 2 because that's where all the money is. And StarCraft, the thing with StarCraft 2, the reason why it's dying is because Blizzard doesn't like to make that big changes to it. And that's what's causing it to stagnate because there's not a lot of deep mechanics in there. I also feel like RTSs wouldn't translate well to like an audience, right? Because it's not as like action-y. No, right? no. I've watched StarCraft 2. It's pretty intense because 
Like your average RTS player, they take half an hour to finish a game. That's like a MOBA game now. That's what a MOBA is right now. It's like half an hour to an hour of pure action. An RTS game is like 10 minutes. At, oh, I see. Okay. Like the longest usually. I did not know that. Like they, they're really hyper aggressive and they don't sit around and build their base up. They, they get their units, they go, they charge, they fight their armies, and then it's over. Interesting. Like, there's never been, I've never seen a base destroyed in a StarCraft game because the other person usually realizes it's over and just GG's out and quits. Wow. Because they can't survive after having their army annihilated 10 minutes in. It's like uh, in chess when you know you're going to get checkmated in five turns or whatever and you can't do anything about it, right? So you might as well just. Yeah, knock, you might as well make knock it the king over then, yeah. Unless you want to be, unless you want to be, uh, well, I can't think of the proper word to say. Unless you want to be rude. You're gonna GG out and not sit there and waste the guy's time. Right. Mm. That reminds me of my Halo days, playing teams. You're down 13 and they're got there. I'm about to battle win. Yeah, but that was not professional Halo. <laughs> yeah, that was just so. like playing in middle school. I don't think Smash has that problem where people where you know you've lost. Oh no, dude! Smash is an entirely different beast. I've seen the most yeah. epic of comebacks. You know, it's yeah. never over till it's over. In Smash. I mean, MOBAs have that same issue, but the thing about RTSs is, is that once you reach a certain point, once your army gets eliminated, it's over. Right. Like you lose two hundred some units at once, it's over. You can't possibly rebuild while they still have one hundred fifty units coming at your base. So you're gonna mm-hmm. lose. There's no way of coming back from that unless you're unless you're a freaking wizard. <laughs> right. Yeah, so you were saying uh, how all these esports have to constantly change to stay right. popular, right? Which does make sense. Adds, you know, uniqueness to the game. It's interesting. I that, know what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah no, it's just I just want to say it's interesting that melee has never changed. It's, ever, yeah, it, it's basically right. it, impossible it, to it change. It came it. out once and it's been out and it hasn't been altered since, which is pretty yeah. remarkable. I mean, melee has a lot of mechanical depth. It's either you, it's either you put a lot of mechanical depth and thought into it, or have a lot of glitches that people can exploit to do these cool things, uh-huh. or you kind of have to completely change the game because melee has been alive this long because people are still discovering new things to do, and that's the thing with older games where these glitches that couldn't be patched out are still there, and people keep finding them, like speedrunners, for example. Mm-hmm. They find these glitches that allow them to skip to the final boss about seven minutes into the game. Yeah, I was watching a speedrun recently, like the Ocarina of Time world, uh, the world record, I guess. I had it was in a completely different language. You can like skip to the end, right? There's yeah. a way you can skip to the it's end. It's like 19 minutes long. He skipped all the way to the final Ganon with just the stick, and he was still youngling, and he won. That's funny. Yeah, because you can just get to the first boss and then jump through a wall, and you're at the final boss. <laughs> yeah, melee has its. Uh, I guess you can. I don't know if you'd call them glitches, but. I mean, you got a technique called wobbling where you can literally just t- you grab someone and almost kill them with ICs. Well, basically, like, if you grab them, you can kill them. Because you have to desync climbers. them. Like, I, I right. know a good bit of Smash. You yeah. desync them, and then you have control of two characters versus one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's, they're that's, acting independently. I mean, you could arguably call that a, I mean, not really a glitch, but it's pretty darn cheap. <laughs> I mean, it was, with it, it. I mean, was it intentionally programmed into the game? Probably. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Then it wasn't a glitch. You know, that's cool. <laughs> I, it's, it's not. I'll tell you this. It's definitely not something they thought of. I think wave dashing was a glitch, isn't it? Uh, I heard that. I don't believe it. I'm. I don't know. I'm I, I, I think with how creators, mysterious Nintendo is, we'll never know. I think the creators <laughs> of Melee had a lot of stuff that they put in there, but didn't really know what could be done with it. Hmm. That's what I think. I think wobbling was never thought of when they were making Melee. I don't think wave dashing was ever thought of. I think they were just thinking about air dodging, honestly, when they were making melee. And they didn't expect it to be turned into like sliding across the yeah, ground yeah, at Mach yeah. three. I, I don't. I don't think a lot of the stuff that is is in melee was actually. It was intended. unintended. Yeah, it's all. A lot of it's unintended. Right. So to sort of sum up the talk about esports, um, they're only getting bigger year after year. More games are becoming popular esports games, and it's kind of exciting to see how how big it's going to get, and if if it'll ever reach kind of like the level traditional sports are at. Can't wait to see my Saturday night League of Legends tournament. I mean, I mean that's they've coming. already surpassed yeah. like the NBA Finals. Like a League, of Legend, League of Legends, the World Championships surpassed viewership over the NBA Finals. That's insane to me. And I almost don't believe it until I see the numbers. Uh, I can't, because these <laughs> yeah. numbers are a little bit old, but it did surpass the NBA Finals for that year. Oh my that's in, that's <laughs> like, incredible. Um, right. So as always, we end every show with just sort of going around talking about what games we were we've been playing or recommend to others. 
Um, Tristan, let's start with you. Alrighty. Uh, I've been playing Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch. That's an excellent game. I love that yeah. game. It combines probably my th- three favorite things. Is It is a JRPG. The animation is done by Studio Ghibli, who I love. And it's done. It's developed by Level 5, which for the life of me, I cannot think of a game they have made this far that I disliked. Um, it's it's just a heartwarming <laughs> story, and I, I'm not done. Like, I am probably nowhere close to the end of that game, but I'm excited to just go home and play more. <laughs> right, so it, 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 it infuses, like, um, a turn-based JRPG with sort of Pokemon, right? Yeah, a little bit. So you can move around freely inside of all the battles, but you also uh, have the ability to take control of your essentially Pokemon-like monster in the battle. Um, so it's it's layered because it has that Pokemon-like monster that can evolve and fight and all that. In addition to that, in battle you control your party members as well, correct? Uh, yes. You well you. Don't control all of them at the same time. That would be chaotic. Right, but right. <laughs> you control your character, and you can switch over to any of your other characters. Or I think I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't been playing it recently because college. Um, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can switch into your other party members' monsters. Right. And I just I don't know if you said it partially because I'm brain dead from finals, but <laughs> I just want to say that. The most impressive thing about this game is the art. Oh my god, it's beautiful. The, the graphics, it's like the entire movie is like a Ghibli movie, a Studio Ghibli movie. Um, it's the, just the fact that they were able to get that rich uh, anime, like cartoon graphical style and have it move so well, it just looks like the entire time you're playing, it looks like you're watching a Studio Ghibli movie. And I've never seen a game with that sort of graphical style before. And I, it's that alone is worth picking up the game. Um, I mean, it's in addition to the old, fact, so. in addition to the fact that it's got an incredible story yeah. and it's got very, very good gameplay as well. I'm super stoked for the second one. With, Absolutely, whenever yeah. that comes out soon, I think. Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, you really could take any of the cutscenes from that game and drop them in a Ghibli movie, and it wouldn't look out of place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Michael, what about you? Uh, I was still thinking of a game, but. I'm trying to think of what I've been playing recently that's not Overwatch or Door Fortress. <laughs> what about just something you you would recommend playing? Uh, something recommend you've, playing? you've played before? Uh, Planet Side 2. Would okay. recommend checking that out. It's both on PS4 and uh, PC. Really great shooter that's kind of unique in the fact that there's 300, 400-person battles. No way. Really? Yeah, really. It's massive. On PS4? Yeah. It's a massive game. Like, there's three or four continents, and you can have up to 100 to 200 people in a single battle on both si- on each side, because it's there. Each continent has like 300 or 400 people per faction, and there's three factions. So, wait, are you saying so? It's a first-person shooter as well. Yeah, it's completely massive, and wow. it's great. Okay, it's it's an actually older game. PS4 release was supposed to be at launch, but then they were optimizing it and optimizing it. It still mm-hmm. gets great frames on PS4, and like the game's been out since 2012. So what's the sort of like flavor behind it? It's is it sci-fi? It's or? sci-fi. Okay. It had its its original came out Planet Side One, really really roped on the big battles, but didn't had a lot of server issues because this was back during the time of dial-up modems. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't handle two hundred three hundred people at the time, so the game would run like garbage. Then Planet Side Two comes out and it's a beautiful game. There's so much you can do. You can be in a tank. You can be in a fighter jet. You can have a jetpack. And there's just such a vibrant community that still plays it, even though it's released in 2012 and it's a free-to-play game. Wow. That, like, you still had these 100, 200 people battles. So are, are all, all these people on the map at once, or are you fighting in, like, factions? There, there's three factions, and they're all on the map at once. Like, you could that's run into a 200-person okay. battle if all's going right. Uh, that's, like, that's mind-blowing to me because I didn't think we had the sort of, like, network architecture to support that sort of thing yet, but... Leave it to Sony Online to, or, well, now they're Daybreak, but... Wow. Okay, Figure yeah. that out. Sounds very cool. Um, Mohammed, I think we're going to skip over you because you pretty much just play <laughs> Melee. But, what? I mean, if there, no, if you there's something game? you want to say, go ahead. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I'd like to put in a little elevator pitch. Ele- elevator pitch. Sure. Uh, all right. I think <clears throat> most games 
like 99% of games are just there as uh, they 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 lie rely on a sig reward system, you know. Um, if I was smart, I'd be able to quote something from medical school, but uh, they they all basically you know you get to the next level, you beat your opponent, whatever it may be. For me, melee helps keep a healthy confidence in me. Uh, so, I mean, right now I'm a first-year medical student at West Virginia University School of Medicine, and it's really easy to come back from an exam day and just feel like crap. You know, you studied 100-plus hours for one exam, and you didn't do well, and you feel bad. What do you do? Well, there's a lot of healthy things to do. <laughs> you can go out and run or whatever. But you can also play melee. And what I mean by that is you pick up your GameCube, you go out with some friends, and you knock the bejeebers out of your friends. And what do you feel like? Oh, you feel like you're successful at something. You know, you don't feel like I failed that exam. You feel like, oh, I'm capable of doing amazing things, and whatever it may be. So for me, melee is a way to be healthfully confident. And it's, it's just one of many ways to improve your life, I think, as long as you, know, you don't go way too far with it. Oh, that was very well said. Yeah. Um, That's my elevator pitch. Play melee. <laughs> I'm just going to end very briefly by giving a shout-out to Pokemon Sun and Moon. Um, Is that what you've been playing recently? or No, I haven't touched it in months, but I had to think <laughs> of something. <laughs> um, but, no, it's, uh, it's one of the most incredible Pokemon games in recent years. And, actually, I think it's my favorite, aside from Red and Blue. Um, it completely shakes up, like, the Pokemon formula we know and love to the extent that um, there actually there are no gyms in the game. And the game sort of revolves around you forming the Elite Four before you conquer them. And um, just the Pokemon designs themselves are pretty inspired this time around. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun to play, especially for fans, longtime fans of the series that kind of want a fresh coat on, on Pokemon. So... If you haven't checked that out, uh, give it a shot. All right, everyone, I think that's going to do it for this week. Um, I'm Ahmed Beyond. Thank you, Tristan, Michael, and our guest, Muhammad, for joining us. Thanks for having me on. What's your feeling about the awkward seal dog? What? Oh, Poplio? Yeah, Poplio. I hate Poplio. Oh. Poplio sucks. <laughs> You're an animal. <laughs> yeah, you have to pick either... Um, Litlio or uh, Rowlet? Yeah, either Litlio or Rowlet. Probably Rowlet. But, I'm on but, Team Seal Dog. But, but never Poplio. Never popular. All right, I'll see you guys later. Bye. Sonic again. Uh, <laughs> you know, Shadow the Hedgehog was a very underrated game. Sonic 06, game of the year. Great game. Ten out of ten. You want to go on the record with that one? You want to you want to this, put down that Sonic? Yeah, 6 yeah let's go on the record. Sonic I just experience. peaked the mic again. Emmett is gonna edit this all out, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I peaked the mic again. I need to stop. Look, look at the peaks. <laughs>